From the concept of a social media influencer to the ways in which art and artists impact one another, influence is a word that seems to have taken on many new meanings, particularly in the digital landscape. In this episode, we look at the notion of influence, where it can be found and how it can be used. We spoke to Tamsin West, who is a creative influencer, book reviewer, photographer, and all-round lover of words. She's best known for her successful Instagram account, Babbling Books, where she shares her love of YA and adult science fiction, fantasy, and non-fiction books. You're listening to the Emerging Writers Festival podcast. I am the artistic director of the Emerging Writers Festival, Izzy Roberts-Orr. And I'm Ruby Rose Pivot-Marsh. I'm the digital producer at EWF. So we have you in here today to talk about influence. Mm-hmm. It's a big word. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a huge kind of millennial word in particular. And often when we talk about influence, we talk specifically about social media. Yeah, we definitely do. And when I was um, looking at the concept for this podcast, I was really digging into my thinking around what influence means, what it, what are the creative influences on me and, and the work that I do, and then what does being an influencer, which is something that I get called quite a lot. And in fact, I actually call myself an influencer um, on my about page, which I'm not sure how I feel about. Um, But what does that mean um, for me as a creative? And what does it mean for the decisions that I'm making about the content that I'm creating and the content that I'm putting out into the world? And those two things are not always the same. So please tell us, what, what, <laughs> what is your take on influence? What does it mean to you in this day and age? I think the, the influences on me, so the things that I take in as influence, I think about those as what are the things that are shaping my thinking? What are the things that are shaping my art and creative practice? And how do they all fit together? And I think that those things are the books that I read, obviously. I think they have a huge um, impact and influence on the work that I do, literally because I mainly take photos of books, but also because the ideas and, and concepts that I'm coming across and the people that I'm interacting with because of these books are influencing the work that I do. So I'm inspired by other photographers. I'm inspired by writers. I'm inspired by journalists and creatives of all different kinds. And I think I wouldn't have the same connection to the work that I do, the art that I create, if I didn't have those relationships that I'm building with people through being part of this kind of social media space. So there's this crossover between the offline thing of reading a book, absorbing it, being influenced by its content. But then there is also the online interaction of then talking about that book with other people and delving into that more deeply and being influenced by their opinions or their views on it or the creative way in which they are interpreting the work. You know, in building that space and and connecting those people to the ideas that you're excited about, tell us a bit about how you did that. <laughs> it's an interesting story. It's it's funny. So I was working for the Forest Stewardship Council in kind of a accounts management role in sustainability space. And I was just reading a lot. I moved to Melbourne. I didn't know that many people. I joined a book club. It was called The Last Book Club on Earth. And we only read post-apocalyptic and dystopian books. It was amazing. Uh, Still really love that book club so much. But once a month to meet for book club was like not enough for me. And one of my friends, um, she was also like a big reader. And we would talk about books every lunchtime, like 
I mean, it was a small office. There's only like five of us. And uh, one of our colleagues was like, you guys should start a podcast because you're always talking about books. Like you should just do it. And we were like, ah, I mean, this was like five years ago. We were like, ah, we don't really listen to podcasts. We don't know how, like there's so much technology. I don't know what to do. And um, anyway, then we realized that like maybe instead of podcasts, maybe like we should be doing something else online. And we discovered Bookstagram, which is the Instagram community of people who love books. And we were like, oh, we can do this. Like, I've got a phone. I've got some books. Like, this will be fine. And that's literally how it started. I had this kind of notion that I'd been learning a bit about digital marketing and um, community building. And I thought, well, why not? Like, combine these two things, test it out, see if I can actually create the community that I've been really wanting to be a part of that I haven't been able to find in person. I haven't been able to find those networks of people who care about the books that I care about, who read as much as I do. And and I felt bad because I was always like forcing my friends to borrow books whenever they visited me and then never getting them back, (laughs) possibly because I hadn't read them. And so that's really where it started from. It was about four years ago. I think four years ago, probably today. But yeah, that's how it started and that's how it began. And it was really a concerted effort to connect with people who were passionate about things that I was passionate about, who were interested in the things that I cared about, not just the books that I was reading, but also social justice issues and sustainability. And I was able to find all of these people, like kindred spirits, really, from all over the world who cared about the things that I did. That was when I felt for the first time like I'd really, like it had worked. Like I'd really connected with people on the level that the people who were relating to me, the people who were finding me online and who were staying with me were the people who I wanted to have in my life. They weren't just random people on the internet who I would like post something and hope that they read it or I wasn't doing this to build up a following so that I would get paid by publishers to take photos. I was doing this because I wanted to connect with people who cared about the things that I cared about and who could show me new ways of seeing the world. And it's been amazing. I think there's something really telling in hearing you speak about it, which is the enthusiasm that you have. (laughs) And I think sometimes uh, broadly in creative industries, like fandom or enthusiasm Mm. over in like being really passionate and being really enthusiastic is denigrated or not seen as something that's like serious and intellectual and important in these industries that we exist in. But I think that you, your story kind of proves what an asset it can be to have that level of enthusiasm because you've managed to now build that into something that you get to do all the time, which is really, really cool. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's pretty amazing. And I think you're definitely right. I think being a fan, you know, being excited about stuff is denigrated, I think, but I'm not, that's not something that I'm ever going to be shy about. When I love things, I love them passionately. And even if people like feel uncomfortable with the amount of enthusiasm that I have, it's completely genuine. And the thing is, if I don't love something, I'm also going to be equally as honest about it. I think the only way to sustain yourself creatively in this kind of digital space is to do and follow the things that you're really passionate about, that you care about. Because... You can't sustain the level of personal involvement and investment that is required to do something like this on a daily basis if you don't care about it. Do you have artists in particular who influence you? 
Such a hard question. I mean, I have a lot of different influences, but maybe a couple that really stand out to me in terms of integrity and relating to an audience and being true to your yourself and your beliefs and being really honest in an online space. Um, Sarah Tasca from the Instagram account Me and Orla. It's not book related at all, though she has just published a book about like Instagram and influence. Um, I just think she's so genuine and a real role model of how to talk about complicated topics. Like she talks a lot about her health and things like that online. I think she's amazing. In terms of like writers and people that I really admire I mean I think Brodie Lancaster is a really great example in terms of her her essay writing and her non-fiction work I really loved her book um No Way Okay Fine I think it's just a really great example but also uh, Ashley Young uh, who her essay collection Can You Tolerate This was something that really inspired and influenced me in terms of this idea of combining lived experience and influences of literature and also like his history and research and the natural world, all of those things kind of combined together. I feel like I'll probably never achieve that level of mastery, but I love the way that, you know, she has uh, her approach to craft, I think is really beautiful. Thanks so much for joining us, Tamsin. So for anyone who's listening and is interested in doing what you're doing, have you got any advice for them? I think if you're wanting to start an Instagram account about books or even just use your online presence and grow your online presence, if you're like a writer or another type of creative, I think really the things that we've already talked about, the being really true to yourself, your passions, and really being really honest about sharing those and putting those out there. But I also think being really clear and consistent in the way that you communicate, there isn't a right and wrong way to exist in an online space. I think there's been a lot of people being really successful and growing really great and influential audiences using lots of different approaches, but like having nice photos, being consistent in what you're posting, trying to have like a kind of theme or a topic that you talk about regularly will help. Even though, yes, we contain lots of different things, maybe at the beginning, start with one or two things and just talk about those more consistently. And then you can start adding the extra layers in. And also don't forget to engage with other people, build that community in a really genuine way and connect with other people. If you're just broadcasting, you're not going to get anywhere. It needs to be a genuine reciprocal relationship that you have with the people in any kind of community that you're building, whether that's online or offline, but it's especially important in an online space. We spoke to Darlene Silva Soberano about the influence of place, time and popular culture on their life and art. They shared with us their poem, You Like the Smiths? A vivid exploration of the ways in which pop culture is present in interpersonal relationships and what to do with the leftover feelings once such a relationship has ended. We have you in today to talk about influence. Ruby and I are lifelong Westies, if you will. Mm-hmm. We both grew up in Footscray, less than a kilometre away from each other, as it turns out. That's um, incredible. And <laughs> this is something, you know, this place is something that influences you in your work as well. Definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I grew up in Werribee. We immigrated, me and my family, we immigrated to Australia in 2003. So I've been living there since 2003. And throughout my entire childhood, Werribee was a space 
where I was so confused. As an immigrant, I was like, I miss home, but I'm not there. And this is very strange. And I think that strangeness is what I try to move towards in my work. But it's also like, now that I'm older, it's a bit more familiar to me. And I can set poems there and be comfortable. I'm fascinated by that with um, poetry in particular, because there are so many different states that I feel exist in that kind of abstracted form. And, you know, there's writing about sight in that real literal specific sense about what is Werribee the place? Like what are what are the layers of sediment that are underneath the ground we're walking on? Mm. You know, what are the histories of the folks who were here for thousands of years before us? What are the histories that are urban that have built been built on top of that? Um, mm. You know, I think about this with Footscray, which is changing so rapidly at the moment and like how different the mall is to walk through than it was for, you know, my entire childhood or which shops are still there and are still the same though too. Then I feel like there is, you know, always the abstract on top of that as a poet. There are the spaces that you're inhabiting in your mind. There are the the places that you travel to through your poetry. So how do you reconcile all of those uh, those different sites within your writing practice? That's so difficult. No, I don't think that I do it well, I think. But I also think that what's interesting about writing is that when you go into a piece of writing not knowing what it's going to be about, I think that that's what makes for an interesting piece. Like if you go into writing already knowing that you love someone, then there's nowhere really for that poem to go. So you're working it out through the poem? Yeah, and working it out in my brain. Right now I'm reading Alexander Chi. I love it. I love his work, but I'm also like reminded that I'm jealous of writers who get to write about a place so proudly and so specifically because I don't have that kind of attitude, at least not yet. But I'm also just happy living in the ambiguity of the whole thing of, I don't know if I'm okay here. And I think that's okay. We're living in the liminal space. I think that's a troubled relationship that we all have as well though as settlers on stolen land so I think that tension is something that is necessary to quote-unquote Australian literature you know is that that unsettling um and and there are differences uh for people coming at different points in that history but we're all uninvited guests in the end so Mm -hmm. yeah and but at the same time you can feel like you belong to a place like I definitely I find that really interesting that tension of feeling responsibility for land and um, feeling a sense of, yeah, deep connection, but also that's still being troubled uh, at the core of itself. I find it really interesting you're talking about sort of not just feeling like maybe not fully connected to this place, but also that you are still in another place as well. My father is not from Australia and that's something that I kind of see in him, but also that I find... There are parts of like my writing or my work or myself that I don't quite understand because I don't have the context of having grown up at the other place that I could have. Yes. In this really beautiful essay by Andre Asaman, it's called Parallax. And he says, part of me never came with me. Mm. And he also has another quote, which is, what we missed was not just Egypt. What we missed was dreaming Egypt in Europe. And it's like, it draws on that idea of being in a place, but also being in another place, but also missing a place that you're dreaming of and then getting there and you're like, oh, now I miss the other place. Mm. Or sometimes, um, you know, missing a place that you maybe never fully remember. 
Yeah, all of my writing about the Philippines takes place in Tondo, Manila, and I never really lived there. But like mm. all of my memories are there, and everything mm. takes place there. That's definitely such a big thing to contend with. So we've talked about place as as such a strong part of the influences that inform your work, and I'm curious. You've mentioned a, a couple of writers there, uh, Alexander Chi and Andre Asman. Um, can you tell us a bit about? some of your other influences, literary or otherwise? I feel like all I do is draw on my influences. I heard someone say to me once, uh, your style develops when you fail to imitate someone else's style. And I can definitely tell you so many writers whose styles I have failed to imitate. Kava Akbar is number one, probably. He's so great. And I met him last year and he was so lovely. I feel like wanting to name my influences like is like very important. I write when I'm inspired by something that someone else has written. So it's very important to me to be reading a lot. I can feel like Alexander Chi starting to be like my number one right now. But I love to write a lot about pop music. And mm -hmm. I really love Carly Rae Jepsen. And I'm very excited to sit down with her newest album. And how does that work do you, for you? Do you sit down and like really intentionally kind of, you know, have a song here or a, an image or a poem and then respond to that work in a, a very, like, kind of specific and framed way? Yeah, definitely. I My piece in Australian Poetry's anthology called Tell Me Like You Mean It was very specifically after Kava Akbar's poem. It's called Portrait of the Alcoholic Floating in Space with Severed um Umbilicus. And I remember just, like, returning to the rhythms in that poem and specifically wanting to have the rhythms of that poem in my poem. And that's what I tried very much to receive. There's something really beautiful in poetry in particular, but certainly other forms, but I really find it true of poetry when we uh, have this kind of call and response or when poems really speak to each other through their work. I realize that I really love to be in conversation with all the writers and I think that that's why I'm so clearly and blatantly influenced and I always say that. I always say this this poem has this line from this poet. I try my best to give credit. From that, do you have any advice for people, I guess, in harnessing their inspirations for their own work? Oh, I've never been, I've never thought about this before. For me, personally, when I'm really, when I really love and adore a work, it just really becomes a part of my daily life. Whenever I'm arrested with a poem, I think about that poem for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I think my advice would be t is to let that happen to you, to let the work stay with you and move you and continue to move you. And really, like, don't be ashamed of all of your feelings and don't be ashamed to be inside your feelings all the time. And so now we're going to move into a poem that you've brought in to read for us today. Uh, could you give us a bit of context and introduction for the listeners? I really did write that while looking at a person who looked like one of my old friends that I didn't talk to. And just remembering everything that was shared um, between us in terms of pop culture. Like I've said, music specifically is such a potent and big source of culture. Um, and I think that that's what the poem is really about, is remembering all these inside knowledge and inside jokes and loving someone through that. So this is called, You Like the Smiths? There's someone in class today who looks like you. She's got the hunch of your back, the spread of your teeth, 
in your hair when we were 17. But she's not you. And I'm sorry for that. But I'm glad. And I'm sorry for being glad. Sorry I never called you again. Sorry this is going to be the year I don't forget about your birthday, but won't send you a text. Sorry about ignoring you at the party last year. You know which one. Sorry you'll never be a passenger in my Mini when we had so many memories in my mother's car, the Christmas lights on that street in Wyndham Vale, and the time we sat singing, to die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. All the windows down. A country road. I'm sorry I never looked over at you like you always wanted. Sorry we never got the scene in the film right before the truck hits the car. I swear that was never about love, but about safety, which I suppose are the same thing anyway. Which is all to say I loved you from our 15-minute drives to our two-hour drives, and to the trip to Sydney we planned but never went. And I loved you when we walked. I loved you when we sat on your bed listening to Stevie Nicks singing, Well, here you go again, you say. You want your freedom. Well, I got my freedom now. And I listen to Stevie Nicks still, and I think of you, singing, I've been afraid of changing, because I've built my life around you. Well, I had him back then, and I still have not now, and I'm sorry for that too. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Writers Festival podcast. This year, the festival runs from the 19th to the 29th of June in Melbourne. You can catch Tamsin in the Cultivating Creativity Masterclass on June 20th at the Wheeler Centre, see Darlene at EWFX Liminal Interstitial and Late Night Lit Read to Love, both on June 27th at Loop Bar, as well as at the Lifted Brow Issue 42 launch on June 28th at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute. See the full Emerging Writers Festival program and book tickets online at emergingwritersfestival.org.au. Full artist bios for this episode are available on the website and in the show notes on SoundCloud. Our theme music for the podcast is the magical Huntley's Please from their EP Songs in Your Name. You can check them out on Facebook at Huntley Music and listen to their recently released debut album Low Grade Buzz wherever you normally find your music. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that First Nations peoples are the first storytellers of this land and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to the Elders of the lands that this podcast reaches.